All right, good evening, everybody. Today we're going to finish up uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's the end of this little epistle. It's a short little chapter, but boy, he says a lot. We'll pray and we'll get started here right away. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word. We've been prepared uh, by your worship. Lifting up our hearts to you quiets our minds and our hearts and gets us focused where we need to be focused. The things of this world are growing strangely dim and we're able to think about eternity, which is definitely on Paul's mind here in chapter 6. Thank you for Paul's heart, Lord. The... uh, the eternity that you stamped on his heart, the way he lived his life, Lord, we desire that for ourselves, that we would always be mindful of the forever with you and our purpose for being here and what you want to do with us while we're still here on this earth. So I pray that you'd help us to learn tonight, to listen, to hear, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think Paul might have had an unfair advantage He says at one point in Acts, I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, who was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but saw things inexpressible, uh, unlawful, he said, for him to, to share, to be able to write down. And we knew that that's the same case for John, the apostle, when he wrote the book of Revelation. Some things I can write down, other things when the thunderings took place, and John was about to write down what he heard from Jesus, what was going on in heaven. The angel said, don't write those things, seal those things up for the end times. Those things are not yet ready to be revealed, is the idea. But here's what I know. Paul doesn't have to write much about what he saw for me to see the evidence in his life of what he saw. He lived his life as if both feet were in heaven and he was looking down through the clouds at us. I don't know why you're focused on so much down there. The things down there are nothing compared to what's up here. And he lived his whole life that way. A couple times he says... for me to be with you or for me to go to heaven, it's, he's hard-pressed, he says. He says, I, I would rather be there, but to be here with you is more needful. And what he saw the need was for us to have eyes to see eternity and to think that way. Our church is a, I would say, a hardcore church. It just is. And this is a little from the heart. I know it can get fatiguing. There's a, there's a tendency to be like, I wonder, I wonder what I did wrong this week kind of thing. And, of course, that isn't God's intent with his word. That isn't his intent, by his intent with his Holy Spirit and the conviction that he brings or the exhortation that he brings. I mean, last week was a little difficult to hear for a lot of people. And I agree. But it's hard to find as I look through Scripture, which is all we have to go by, which is all that matters, which is our final authority, anywhere where it was easy. Anywhere where he told us, you know, lighten up, have a little ice cream. And so I struggle with that until I studied this chapter. Because I don't want people to get battle fatigued and look for a place to retreat to a place where there's less pressure, less 
in-your-face, stand-up-against-the-devil kind of stuff, you know? I don't want people to be so tired of hearing God's Word in such a way, because I know there's a way you can present God's Word in a good way and a bad way, in such a way that you feel like, I don't want to get beat anymore. And you should never feel that way. I'm very proud of the entrepreneurial, and that's a terrible word to use, but I'm going to use it anyway, ministry spirit that you people have. I'm very proud of that. There's a tendency to start off with, um, I want to add something to Calvary Chapel, and then we pray about it, we see what we can do, maybe we can't, but then afterwards we realize maybe it's better if we do this completely independent of it. And I'm like, I don't know. I think you've got something there. And then to see these things flourish, I was excited to bring 10 Bibles for Steve Runyon's prison ministry, which has nothing to do with Calvary Chapel. I'm excited to see what's going on with Leah and her school, which has nothing to do with Calvary Chapel. We support it, of course. I'm excited to see many, many other things that are happening like that. And if I missed your ministry, please forgive me. But I like that. There's a a can-do, standalone attitude because you're, you're so confident in what the Lord's called you to do. But it doesn't matter whether you've got allies or not. You just go, and you go do it, and it's a wonderful thing. And that comes from strength and from understanding God's Word and from standing upon it independently. Whether anybody's with you or everybody's with you, I'm going to do what God calls me to do. What a fantastic life. I love it. And as we read Paul here, who has that same attitude as someone who has almost literally had both feet in heaven at one point and seen things, he says, it doesn't matter if anybody's with me or if everybody's with me, I'm going to do what God calls me to do. And that is a rare bird right there. And this world needs thousands of rare birds that can do this. You know, it's a wonderful thing. So as he takes a step into this next section, bond servants versus masters, we don't use those words. At the time that this is written, there are millions of slaves in Rome, millions of slaves in the Roman world. And so as Jesus Christ comes on the scene, the savior of the world, lots of people are getting saved. Some centurions for sure, many people in Caesar's household, which means relatives, people close to him, but also many, many slaves too. And so there's something that has to be dealt with. Now, when you guys assemble on the first day of the week and your boss is there (laughs) and you're there as believers, you need to be able to worship together. And then when Sunday is over and the first day of the week has passed and you go back to your roles on Monday you need to have that same respect as you had on Friday. You know, I don't know if they had a a two-day weekend or not. I just made that up. But you understand, when the day was up and it was time for us to be normal, we get along. But when we go back to these roles that we have, can we still be respectful and still do and be the Christians we're called to be in these roles? There were odd situations where perhaps the master was a deacon taking care of the physical needs of the church. 
And the bond servant, the servant, the slave, might have been the pastor. Sunday was a little different for both of those guys, right? There was some authority changing around. And so Paul says, let's make sure that we can do all these things with honor and carry yourself well either way. And so that's where Paul starts off this second section. Now, for us, we don't really understand that, except for employers and employees. You can still apply it here, and I've got a story to tell you. <laughs> he says in verse 1, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. He's really talking to the bond servants to make sure that they honor these guys. And he starts off with the unbelieving masters are worthy of the honor. Maybe not. Sorry, I thought I silenced everything. Yeah, I did. Um. As in honoring your father and mother, same with honoring your masters. When they're asking you to do biblical things or things that are not illegal according to God's word, you need to obey them in those things. When they ask you to do things contrary to God's word, contrary to your Lord in heaven, then you need to obey your, your Lord, okay, first and foremost. So he never calls us to obey our parents or obey our masters to the point of illegality, okay, to keep that in focus here. But just because they're unbelievers and you're a believer, don't get that haughty spirit of, well, I'm a saint and you ain't kind of thing. Therefore, I'll serve you as much as I want to. But remember, I serve Jesus, you know, kind of thing. And he says, that's not what we want. We want to make sure that there's a ministry opportunity taking place here, that there's a witness that's being watched by this unbelieving master, and we want to make sure that when they watch you, they say, man, I wish I had more Christians working for me. And by the way, Christian slaves cost more in the Roman era than the unbelieving slaves, because those who are buying them, I know this is hard to hear because we, we hate all of this as far as slave trade goes, but that was the idea. These guys are unbelievable. I can set Bob in charge of the well digging, and I don't have to oversee him. It's going to get done. I don't have to go back and see if there's 12 guys leaning against shovels. They're all digging, you know. It was valuable. The witness was there. So he says, I want to make sure that you bond servants don't get the idea that now that you're saved, that you don't have to do this, that you, that you serve Jesus and you don't serve these guys. No, we don't want the word of God to be blasphemed. So Serve, serve with diligence, serve hard. Don't, don't rob your boss, you know. Don't steal pens from work. Don't blow your witness, which brings you to my story. These are one of the passages that have meant a lot to me because of Paul's passion, and we'll get to that as, the, as we get to the end of this chapter 6. He is so passionate. And that, that was one of the rare times where God's Word just made perfect sense to me. Other things took a little time for me to understand, but this section... I get it. So I understood that my arrogance that I came out of my military career with needed to be checked at the door when I worked for Pella Windows. I'm a believer now. Many, many unbelievers in this company, and they're watching me. 
and I need to make sure that I'm living above reproach and that I'm carrying myself well and that I'm the hardest worker here. I understood that. And I don't know that I did it well 100% of the time, but I, I certainly knew that was what my goal was each day. And as I started at nowhere land, you know, loading trucks, eventually got the opportunity to be one of the service techs, one of two for our region. It was in Omaha, so we spread all the way from Lincoln, Nebraska, all the way almost not about halfway to Des Moines, and then uh, that's about where we went. So I was one of two guys that was able to do that. And what a blessing of a job that was. I got a truck that I took home, my truck. Little uh, Back then it was an S10, mini truck, you know, be like Colorado today or something like that, you know. It had a giant Pella window sticker on the side of it. But still, if I wanted to go pick up a recliner from Nebraska Furniture Mart, they'd let me do that. They didn't care how I used it, just... I mean, that's some serious, wonderful responsibility and perks. It's just great profit sharing. One time we got a check at Christmas for $4,000, and that was a long time ago. And that's a lot of money for a young guy, a young family, you know. Gee whiz. Okay, to the story. The other service tech was a believer also, much older than I was. Much older. And he was, like to argue and controversial and all that. And that's fine. You know, I was a young guy. What did I know? Anyway, our dispatcher um, liked to push his buttons. And she pushed them one day. And we all went out to the warehouse away from the offices where we normally sat. And this guy went into a tirade and a string of profanity that I've never even heard in the Marine Corps or Navy before. Couldn't believe what I heard, and he just blew his witness. He'd been there for 10 years. And this lady's in tears as he's yelling and screaming these things, and I'm watching going, this is it. This is, how do I recover from this as the other believer that she's been getting ministered to, been told to come to know Jesus. There's hope, there's peace, there's, and then there's this guy. But (laughs) how do you recover from that? We never did, never listened to another thing I had to say. The point was, in relation to this text, we need to carry ourselves as Christians in our workplace very carefully and take it very seriously because your witness is far more important than your rights. It's far more important than your rights. It's far more important than your justice that you think you deserve. That the the name of the Lord is not blasphemed. That's the most important thing for us. And from coming from Paul, who had both feet in heaven, who would look down through the clouds and say, I'm telling you, you really don't need to worry about your 401k. You don't need to worry about these things or the fact that you got, uh, you know, scheduled too much for today. It's okay. That's the least of your concerns. I've seen what's waiting for us. It's so much better, you know. Live for Christ. Make sure they get their honor. Then also, those of you who have believing masters, he moves on to the believers now, don't despise them because they're, they're brethren and they're beloved. <laughs> they're a tough place to be. You look at your boss, God doesn't love bosses. Yes, he does. He loves the bosses too. And maybe they need ministering to, and maybe they need to see your witness, and maybe you're the low man on the totem pole, but maturity-wise, spiritually, you're way ahead, and you need to act that way for them to see what that looks like so that you can bring conviction. 
Proverbs tells us that when you, when you bring that cold glass of water to them, it's like heaping coals of fire on their head. When you do the right thing for them, they feel that conviction in a good way. You're not burning them. <laughs> You're feeling it in a good way. You're like, oh, God, I don't know why. I'm sorry I yelled at you. That's okay. You got a lot of responsibility on your shoulders, way more than I do. I understand where that comes from. And, and you know, I could have done better too, you know. Keep that peace, keep that unity, and remember that person's beloved, whether they're your boss or not. So he tells them, make sure that you're doing those things. And he tells Peter, teach and exhort these, or tells Timothy, teach and exhort these things. Tell that church in Ephesus that they need, they need to be doing this. He's been telling Timothy to tell them to do a lot of things, you know. Be sure and command them. Be sure and command them. And I'm like, I just, I'm not even comfortable with that word. Command? Well, consider yourself commanded then by God's word. How's that? Paul said it. I didn't. It's a coward's way out, isn't it? Make sure that you're being the best employee that anybody's ever seen, that you're not the complainer, that you're not the one that says, oh my gosh, I wish I cannot deal with any more Christians in the workplace that they'd ever want to work. They always want to complain. They're, they got plenty of time to share Jesus, but they don't have any time to do the work that they've been hired to do. We're going to have a good testimony. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 13 says, Like the cold of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his master. When you've got a faithful person that shows up to work on time and doesn't say every day, that's not my job. What a joy. It's nobody's job. Nobody wants to clean that machine. Nobody wants to move that and sweep behind it. That's why it looks the way it looks. I need somebody to do it because I don't have time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Glad to do it. It's not in your job. It's not in your description. You got me for eight hours. Tell me what to do, I'll do it. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a, a slave or free. I don't think I'm going to get compensated for this. You'll get compensated. It's eternal, but you'll get compensated. Jesus saw it. He never, is, he's not a debtor to any man. He's certainly not going to be a debtor to you. You'll get, you'll get your compensation. He's leading us towards a generosity thing here. He's going to go through several Groups. He's talked about the bond slaves and the masters. You need to be generous with your time and with your efforts. Be a good worker like you're working for Jesus, like he's the boss. Do that. He's going to move into other people, though, also. Verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise, other than what I've been telling you, Timothy, and does not consent to wholesome words, even to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ into the doctrine which accords with godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. Paul's passionate about this. 
I mean, that's a lot to say about someone who doesn't want to teach the same thing that we've been teaching. You find anybody that does that, I can, I can tell you who they are. Are you judging, Paul? He absolutely is. These people that think they're above God's word, that they can teach something other than God's word, that they think they can take God's word and set it aside and replace it with their words, here's who they are. They're obsessed. They know nothing. They're proud. When God's word becomes the authority in your life and in my life and in a church's life or a fellowship's life, peace reigns. It just does. There's no arguing about it. God's word says this. I know, but the culture is saying this. God's word says this. We obey God's word. Now you don't have to argue about it. Now you have to you know, dispute or wonder, well, the Bible says this. Well, that's your interpretation. Well, the, the Bible interprets itself. It says over here, 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 and here, the same exact thing. You're just saying it's not true. doesn't make it not true. And so there's peace, and you, you avoid all of these things when you stick to what Paul just told Timothy to stick to if anyone teaches otherwise. That's what happens to a fellowship. That's what happens to a body of believers is they begin to argue about things because God's word is no longer to be relied upon or, or the final authority in the argument. And you find yourself the pooling of ignorance, we call it. Men's minds against men's minds. It's the pooling of ignorance. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, he says, Preach the word, Timothy. We'll get into that soon enough, a few weeks from now. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince people, rebuke people, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You want to make money? Be an inspirational teacher that tells people what they want to hear. They'll go away happy and glad, and they'll drop 50 bucks in your pocket for doing it. It may not be biblical. It may be labeled as Christian. But when it's contrary to God's word, and it's their own take on it, and their own opinions, and it replaces truth from God's word, well, that's a sure way to be successful in the last days be a popular, loved, beloved teacher. He tells Timothy this for a reason. It's going to get harder, Timothy, much harder. I'm not saying that small churches are the future of Christianity and that every small church is a, is a blessing from God because they're the only ones holding to the truth. I don't think that's true. I think a lot of small churches are small because their pastors are creeps. And I can be one too if I'm not careful. But there are a lot of large churches that are large because they avoid the controversy. They avoid the frontline fight. They avoid those sections of Scripture that are, hmm, do we really need to say that? Or can we still preach everything else and avoid those things that are going to cause people to be uncomfortable? You know? Sin is uncomfortable, but sin is why we come to Jesus. I need to know that I'm not right with God. 
That's why we're here. Not to tell everybody you're never going to be right with God, but that, no, you've done things that are contrary to God's will and his ways, and they've separated you from him. You're not in fellowship with him. He, they're meant to lead us to a, a place of, what do I do then? How do I get back to my father? How do I get back to my creator? How do I get back into, into that place where we have that fellowship again? Well, there's Jesus. He took the penalty for all of your sins, all those things that separated you from God. He took to himself on the cross, and he paid for them instead of you. And that was God's idea. That's how much he loves you. He gave his son to die on the cross for you so that you didn't have to be separated from him. And if you believe that, then you've got the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and the mercy of God resting upon you. You've got the righteousness of Christ just imputed to you, given, because you believed God. To avoid those things is to, well, is to have maybe a good showing for the next so many years, as long as this place is spinning. But the book of Revelation tells us as he writes letters to seven different churches, only two of them, only two churches are in good graces with God out of the seven If you don't repent, if you don't take heed what I'm trying to tell you right now, I'm going to remove your lampstand. That's a church, he says. Two of seven. So is it likely? (laughs) Is it likely that every church we know of is one of those two? Or is it likely that they're not? And how do we know the difference? Well, read what those two churches did in the book of Revelation about the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia. What was it that made a a distinction between those and the other churches? Find out what those things are, and then you look for a church that matches those two things. What is it about Smyrna? What was it about Philadelphia that makes it appealing and pleasing to God? And what makes those other churches at odds with him? That's very important. I've got two girls that are married now and they're off they're off on their own with their husbands and they're they're in different cities so they don't get the best church in the world anymore. Well, they got to find one now, don't they? And I've equipped them and their dads have equipped them, their husbands to know what to look for in a good church. And it isn't easy to find one. It isn't easy to find one that teaches the Bible and not from the Bible. It isn't. It isn't easy to find a place that teaches the whole counsel of God. It isn't easy to find one that teaches the whole counsel of God and does it in a loving way, which is also a problem and can be a problem. You know, how do you do this in such a way that you come across with God's word in a way that's not just convicting, but also encouraging and and maturing for people? You know, both are necessary. Anyway, Paul says, you avoid those people that are, that don't have not settled God's word as God's word. From such withdraw yourself, he says. He's concerned about Timothy. This whole chapter screams of a father as a last ditch effort, in a sense, you know, his last words of wisdom for his son in the faith Man, do not blow it like every single other person that I've ever taught. 
Paul at one point says, I have nobody to send you except for Timothy. All have forsaken me and gone back to the world. That is not. Some would say that's not a successful ministry. That's not Paul's fault. I mean, would you blame him? Nobody but Timothy at the end of your ministry to send to another church that's going to have a sincere heart for you and will stay true to it. Hear his pain in his heart as he writes to this last guy. I'm dying, Timothy. I mean, it's just a matter of time before God brings me home. Timothy, don't. If you run into these people, withdraw yourself from them. Protect yourself. Now, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Those who think that godliness is a means of gain, no, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare, and into any foolish and harmful lust which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Paul says, I've witnessed it. I've watched this happen. The desire to become rich from ministry, um, <laughs> well, it, it causes obviously problems. When, when mammon, that's what the Bible calls money, you can't worship two ma- masters, you can't worship God and mammon, it says. It's a funny word, we don't use it. He means money. When you begin to worship the mammon, God is secondary because mammon has to be served. And in order for me to get mammon, I need to make sure that God doesn't offend the mammon givers. That's where doctrine dies. That's where sound doctrine dies and false doctrine rises, unfortunately. Because the desire to make sure that the givers stay, make sure they're happy, make sure they're taken care of. I've told you the story. My dad was on the <laughs> he was on the finance committee for the Lutheran Church, First Lutheran in Sioux City, Iowa, and and uh, that was the church I grew up in. And he was on the finance committee. And the finance committee saw the, the drop in attendance and the drop in, in tithe and, and offerings and things like that. And, of course, that's a big, you know, they're, 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 <laughs> their reserves were unbelievable. But even seeing the reserves drop a little caused them all to, like, have sweat beads on their foreheads. So the order was given. Here's a call list for each of you on the board. Call these members and figure out what's wrong, the rich guys and gals. That's when my dad resigned. I'm not doing that. I'm not calling people up and asking them why they're not giving and what we can do. You know, good for him. You know, now you know where I get it from. Sometimes he knew. He had a he had a sense. They don't want to give. Don't let them give. That's up to them. That has nothing to do with us. Why are we calling them? Why are we doing this? Anyway. It's a temptation. If there's a way to get money from the gospel, from sharing it, from ministry, I'll give you an example. In chapter Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 25, it's a long one, but it's about Simon the sorcerer. 
They were preaching, it says, verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So the miracles that followed the teaching of the word of God caused those people that liked miracles, it's going to be a problem later, to begin to follow Philip because there's some authority there, you know. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Don't get me wrong. Here's the problem, verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying this man is the great power of God and they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ both men and women were baptized then Simon himself also believed yay and when he was baptized he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done that's a, wouldn't it be great if that's where it ended? That's how it ends. I mean, that's what you want. Oh, if we could just get Simon saved, everybody that was following Simon would realize he didn't really have power because he's going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Oh, and it... Verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Believers had not received the Holy Spirit. Pause for effect. Okay. It's a whole other topic. For as yet they had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It's a second work. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, buddy. You know? So close. Cool trick. Can you give that to me? I've got a thousand bucks if you can give me that. I want that. He's going to wish he hadn't said that. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you, and he means hell. Because you thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this manner, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound in iniquity. That's a rebuke. If you're wondering what a rebuke looks like, that's a rebuke. Can you imagine that? Hey, can I get that power? I'll give you a thousand bucks. You know. <laughs> and then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. It's his way of saying sorry, you know. Sorry. You know. Peter nipped that in the bud quickly, didn't he? We don't do this for money. We do not minister for money. This is free. 
God gave us the word of God freely. He gave us the gifts of the spirit freely. We do this freely. If people want to donate and help us move from town to town, which we're going to talk about also, like Gaius in John chapter, or third John, great. Jesus had people doing that for him all the time. They would donate some money to him, give him an ephod or something to wear, you know, some clothing or something, or a place to stay and food, and he would do that. Not that he needed it. I mean, my goodness. All he needs five loaves and two fish, and we can have a pretty good banquet. But for their sake, he would take that and receive that. There's nothing wrong with that. A whole other thing to make it a business. That's a dangerous place. When you look at ministry as a business, that's a problem. Not that you need to be fiscally irresponsible to make sure you're a minister. You don't need to do that. We do want to be careful, be good stewards, but we don't want to be tight either. You know, we want to be generous. Anyway, he learns his lesson. He warns Timothy, Paul does back here in this letter, be careful these people. They're in trouble. Watch out. Money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money isn't the problem, and he's going to explain that here in a minute. It's the love of money that's the problem. It's the, it's the God, little G, that it becomes in people's life. That's the problem. You think about the people that were rich in Scripture, David, who's a shepherd first, grounded with the Lord, content to be a shepherd, became rich, but because that contentment in his heart was already established, riches made no dent on that. Abraham, same thing. Had a 300-man standing army. Now, that's a corporation. He was one of the most powerful people in the world at the time but humble, believed God. There's nothing wrong with the riches part. That isn't the issue. The issue is what the riches have. Are they in control of you or are you in control of them? That's the problem. These people say when your ministry, their ministry, becomes a business and becomes a means for gain, watch out. That's a temptation. That's a danger. Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul had a great handle on it. Some people do it for money, and that's wrong, and they need to repent. Some people do it to make my life even harder, you know, as long as Christ is preached. Timothy, though, you don't be like those guys. Be careful about that. Guard your heart. Watch your heart. He's seen this happen over and over and over again, and it breaks his heart to see it. Timothy, please don't be, I've got one man standing, last man standing. Don't don't let this happen to you. Before I go further, I hope we hear that tonight. None of us are above this or below this, or it applies to every one of us. We have to be careful. We have to guard our hearts. In these last days, Satan will pull out all the stops and try to get us to go in different directions for anything that causes us to twitch. You know, it doesn't have to be money. Maybe money's not your thing. Oh, money, what a pain, you know. Maybe you're a hippy-dippy kind of person that would love to just surf or something, you know. Well, guess what? The waves will be awesome. You know, and it'll be too tempting to pass up and you'll skip church and you'll skip walking with the Lord in your quiet times to be one with nature on the waves, you know, kind of thing. He'll do whatever. 
to get us to move away from what he's called us to do. Verse 11, but you, O man of God, listen to the passion in this, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal or on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, you can circle that, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, dwelling in approachable or dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. He wanted to end it. He wanted to end it there. He's a, a fiery preacher right there. You know, hallelujah. You know, you can almost hear him all say that. You, old man of God. You know, that's the thing. We can flee from sin. But when you're fleeing, don't flee to a barren nowhere land. Flee to safety. If you're going to run from sin, if you're going to run from temptation, if you're going to run from Satan, run to something. Run to eternal life. Run to these things of godliness, righteousness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Run to those things. Don't just leave it empty. Don't just find yourself standing alone in a place that doesn't have as much controversy as the last place you ran from. You know, oh, I feel like I'm being tempted, you know. I need to run over here. Run to a place of safety. Flee the things I just talked about, Timothy, and pursue. As hard as you ran from sin, run after these things in your life. There is a tendency, back to my original beginning here, for us to get tired of things like that. I am pursuing, you know, you might say. I've been trying to have more faith. I've been trying to be more loving. I've been trying all the, I understand. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life, by the way. Those things come by the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It isn't so much that you're trying to find these things or practice these things and get better at these things, although you are. can't avoid that. I mean, you do, you do do these things. You do things to do, to decide to be gentle instead of harsh, to decide to be patient instead of impatient, to try to be loving and not hating to trust God and to not lack faith, you know. Godliness is a decision I make. Every time I do this, that, or the other thing, I make sure that what I'm choosing to do is godly. These are things we do for sure, but the ability to do them, the ability to make the right choice comes by the Holy Spirit telling you in your heart, this is the way, walk in it. He does these things for us. He produces a, an agape love, an, an unconditional love. I can produce a conditional love all day long. I'll love you until you're mean to me too much, and then I won't love you anymore. Problem solved. For me to continue to love you regardless of how, 
See, that's a mature faith. That's a mature love. You know, that comes from the Holy Spirit indwelling us, coming upon us, giving us power to do these things. That's the work of the Lord. It's a supernatural thing. It isn't just a philosophy or a a 12-step program or something. It's a work. He gets excited because he doesn't want Timothy to fail. I don't want you to join the list. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21 is the verses, these three. But I trust, Paul says, as he writes to the Philippians, in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. We've said it time and time again here, when you move from coming to church to be blessed to coming to church to be a blessing, that's maturity. That's the goal. That's not graduation, but you're in the right place. You're in the right headspace and heart space. That's where you need to be. That's where we all need to be. They didn't say hi to me. They didn't love me. They didn't do what I'm supposed to do. I expected more from them. I'm sure there's work. We all have that. We all need to be a little more friendly, a little more aware of other people's problems and not our own. Of course, that's always a constant, a constant thing that we battle because it's hard. Nevertheless, when I come and aren't worried about whether everybody else knows about my problems or not, and I'm looking and seeking out if anybody else has problems, my problems get really small a lot of times. We live in a world that compares. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry to hear that happened to you. Do you know what happened to me? Oh, gosh, that's a terrible thing. Well, besides this, this happened. Oh, wow, that's a pretty big deal. But did this happen to you? Nobody cares about anybody except themselves then. The world's like that. We're not supposed to be. We're not supposed to be. Paul can send Timothy because Timothy cares about what Paul needs to hear. Paul is on Timothy's heart. So Paul runs like I read in, in Proverbs, he's a faithful man. He's a, a drink of fresh, clean, cleared, cold water for Paul. As Timothy is able to get outside of the prison, because Paul's usually in prison, and go find out how these folks are doing in, the, in, in Philippi, and he can come back and care for them and minister to them and help them, and then come back and say, Paul, I told him everything. How you doing? You know, how am I doing? How was the run? You know? How was it dusty? Did you get attacked by any robbers out there? Did you have enough money? To, oh, I don't know. It was, yeah, it was, it was rough. It always is rough. But I got word to them, and I got back to you, and oh, mission accomplished. That's a that's a guy there, right? That's a guy. God wants so many of us. He's got so many people in so many areas in your sphere of, of influence. Only you're the only one. Can can he send you? You know. That's where David's ministry's um, you know, thing comes from. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Is anybody available? Will anybody go? And here am I, Lord. Send me. I'll go wherever you tell me to go. God is looking for that. He wants that. Paul and Timothy understand eternity. 
17. Oh, boy, I got to hurry. Sorry. The rich will be happy. If you're rich in the room, you'll be happy that we got to this in a hurry. Command, please underline that if you're a rich person, who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of a, on eternal life. Don't become prideful in your riches. The riches are meant for a purpose. It's a tool. Many people have been trusted with many different gifts. One of them may be riches in your life. And so Paul says, be sure and tell all the rich people in Ephesus, Timothy, they need to be spending more money on poor people. Command them. Oh, boy. Thanks, Paul. He said it. I didn't. It's important. Well, um, good thing I'm not rich, you might say. Oh, be careful. Oh, boy. You're born in the United States, you're in the top 3% of the world. Hard to find a richer group of folks. So who's he talking to? Every one of us, for sure. And here's why Paul says it. Not because he wants to get into your pockets, which is how a lot of people take it when they hear this the first time. It's the first thing. I knew it. Church is always looking for my money. Well, we don't pass a hat, because that isn't the point. Paul says you need to be thinking about why you've been given those riches, and you need to be thinking about your eternity, and you need to be thinking about what you're trusting in now, and you need to be thinking about how to spend that now to fast forward, you know, carry it on forward. How do you do that? See, the Egyptians had it all wrong. They build these giant pyramids and they put all the king's treasure in there and they kill all the servants that he had in this lifetime when he died and they'd stick them in there too. Wouldn't that be great? You know, why are you so worried? My boss is on his deathbed, you know. Why do you care? Because when he dies, I die. Wow. So they stick them all in there, and now they can take all their stuff and their servants and their treasures over across the pond, whatever the story goes. And then the treasure hunters come in because they know it's all bunk. And they dig a little hole, and they find all the treasure, and they say, I guess they couldn't take it with them. And that's all Paul's saying. This stuff, the digital dollar amounts that the ATM tells me I have, nothing. That doesn't go. You came into the world naked, you're leaving naked. That's it. You may wear a nice suit, but it's rotten with you. You ain't even going to take that with you. Paul's simply saying, look, I've been there. I can't tell you what I saw. I'm telling you, you're going to be pretty embarrassed if you don't start paying forward right now. Be willing. And he doesn't say the church here. So I can say this with all confidence, and I can command tonight to do these things to be sure to be ready to give and willing to share for other people. doesn't have to go through us. doesn't have to go through Calvary Chapel. Just go directly to the person in need that God brings into your life. I don't want to take a commission from it, you know. On the other hand, we got bills around here too. That's why we're all able to sit on chairs. The chairs weren't free. You know, there's this little thing. We try to keep our costs down. 
Anyway, remember what it's for. Gaius is the guy. Third John chapter five, or chapter, there's no chapters, it's chapter one. It's all chapter one. There's only one chapter. It's in verses five through eight. Beloved, speaking to Gaius, this great guy, he's a rich guy. You do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the, before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We, therefore, ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. He's just being commended. You know, thank you. The traveling preacher came through and he didn't have to, you know, beg and borrow and work. You, you gave him enough money to get to the next town to preach. Guys, it's been heard. We've heard of it. Thank you for doing that, you know. Guys probably couldn't stand in front of a group of people to tell them anything. Maybe he was nervous or scared. or He just had another gift. They said, thank you for doing that, Gaius. You make the gospel go forward. You're a participant in that, you know. It's important. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, the generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. God's looking for a hose, not a pond. He wants to know that it can go through and be flowing to other people. Isaiah 32, 8, but a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. What a great thing to scheme if you're a schemer. Hmm. How can I bless people? You know, That's a great thing. Spend all night long thinking about that. How can I do that? Then they, How do I do it so they don't know? I got an idea. You know, Scheme that way. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and the story is beautiful from there on. I just mention it because he just was known for it. generosity is the heart of our father as he's already demonstrated with us in his love for us. And as we gain his heart and as we're filled with his spirit, that should be natural. It should be. Being content with what God has given you with godliness and whatever extra he gives you besides the food and besides the clothing and the shelter that he gives you, that's all extra. That's your opportunity to be generous with those around you. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, exclamation point, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. It's like he had to stop himself. I can't tell you any more times, Timothy, please guard what's been committed to your trust. Guard it because Satan wants to destroy it. He wants you quiet. He doesn't want you talking about Jesus. He doesn't. He wants you distracted with the cares of this life. There's so much to guard it, Timothy. Be, be careful. And that's where we close. Ten minutes over. That was a huge, huge one. You're very gracious. Thank you. Lord, we love your word. It's not enough time to spend in it, God. 
thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's just such a pure heart, not afraid to share everything, everything that's good for people, everything that's good for Timothy, and encouraging Timothy to share everything that's good for the people that will be listening to Timothy. God, help us to share in those good works, to hear what you said tonight, to take it to heart, to to know that we didn't hear this message because it's not going to apply to us, but because it's very much going to apply to us. If not now, it will 10 years from now. If we're still here. But to live a life of spiritual generosity, God, not just with money, but with time and with love and affection and care and prayer. All these things that you've given to us and we can freely give and we have an, an abundance of it that we can never run out of prayer. We can never run out of mercy. We can never run out of grace and love. We can give that all day long. And then also the finances, those side of it also, Lord, help it not to get its claws into us, to snare us and to cause us to, to love it and find trust in it more than we do in you. Guard our hearts, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.